Welcome to Restitch America, a podcast about restoring civility, strengthening patriotism, and rebuilding unity in America. My name is Almohino Pari. As an immigrant for nearly two decades and a new American citizen, I created this show to help heal our national conversation, to rekindle our pride in our country, and to rebuild our sense of patriotism through optimism, civility, and willful positivity. Now sit, relax, and let's restitch America. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Restitch America. My name is Almohine Opari, and I'm very excited to have you here today. This is episode number 10 of season two, and today's episode is going to be a little different. So I'm going to turn the time over to my producer, Jenny Johnson, and she's going to take the reins today and lead us through this episode. So Jenny, straight to you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. I'm going to be your host today. My name is Jenny Johnson, and like Alma said, I'm his producer. We're doing things a little different today because Alma's had some exciting news that he's posted on his social media. So we're going to get to that. But before we do, I want to remind all viewers to please like, comment, and subscribe to this video. It helps me in particular know what you guys like. And I also enjoy reading your comments and also knowing what material to make. So please do that. It helps support us and it helps grow this channel. So to start off, we're going to go straight into it. We're going to get all those hot takes on the current events that are going on and also talk about a little bit of the you know, drama happening at the border because we know Alma has good takes on, on immigration. <laughs> so jumping right into it. So according to a source from the Washington Post, the U.S. Border Patrol has recorded more than six million illegal crossings this year. And that's not counting the two million gotaways that have also been recorded. And apparently this has been the most crossings in the span of the agency's 100-year history, which I did not know. And so I wanted to get your take on it. Where do you stand on the issue of illegal immigration and the policies currently being implemented? So I think I've shared my take on illegal immigration as an institution, right? I think um, for many of us who are immigrants who came to America, one of the main reasons why we came to America is because of the rule of law um, and the fact that you could depend on the law and not be in contravention of the law at random times without you knowing, right? You could you could have a sense of dependency that, you know, if I could live my life in a way that did not put me in jeopardy with the law, it was very clear. And it's it's very heartbreaking for people like us to see the lawlessness that is happening at the border. And talking about close to 10 million people who have come into this country, and the fact that we all know that in a majority of those cases, the people claiming asylum are not actually qualified for asylum. And the fact that we're sitting around and allowing people to literally go and coach these people and tell them what to say to be allowed into the country, knowing all this, it is really hard to, to think that this is not deliberate. It is really, really hard to think that this is not orchestrated because there are groups, there are charities, there are groups that are supporting these migrants on their way throughout Mexico. And then when they arrive at the border, there are groups that are supporting them. And then what do they do? They tell them to ditch their passports, ditch their IDs and come into this country. And it goes even beyond that. The fact that when they get into the country also, they are allowed to circumvent things that Americans are not allowed to do. For instance, you cannot get on a plane in America without an ID. But because these people have ditched their ID, they have been made basically super citizens who don't have to adhere to America's rules. And they can go to the airport, get on a plane without an ID and without their pictures being taken. And so the question is, all this cannot happen in a vacuum. We know what is going on. The intelligence agencies know what is going on. The administration knows what is going on. So the only thing you can surmise from this is, is this deliberate? And I'm beginning to think it is. And then mm -hmm. the question would be, what would be the reason why they're doing this if this is deliberate? Yeah, and, and you touched on something that was very interesting because you said that they, they're they're told to leave their information at the border and they're given a free ride. 
And so that kind of touches on the next question that I have for you. How do you feel about taxpayer money going to fund this? Because if if taxpayer money is going and people, there's been, you know, some cases where people have talked about how people are receiving money or they're receiving phones or they're receiving benefits from for coming through the border. So how does this do a good job of incentivizing the legal process when it's clearly, you know, incentivizing people to cross illegally? Yeah, um, it is abhorrent that we are funding this, basically. It's almost like you're funding, you know, someone stepping on your foot, <laughs> right? And and this is much worse than that. Um, it sends a very, of course, it sends a very, the wrong message that America is a free-for-all. America will not stand up for itself. America can be abused with impunity. And this is the this is the thing that really bothers me about this. It's the fact that there are people who understand the value of compassion, who understand that yes, there are people around the world who are suffering, who understand all those things. And they know that Americans are generous people. And so they basically orchestrate this plan to leverage our generosity, to leverage our compassion to abuse us. It's it's literally like an abusive relationship where the person is like, you know, I'm abusing you, but it's for your own good, right? And And that's basically what is happening to our country. And the question is, do we have a country anymore yeah. when people can, with impunity, <clears throat> you know, disrespect our laws as the first thing they do is to disrespect our laws without consequence. And then we fund it. We give them, I hear, $3,000 gift cards and a free plane ride to anywhere in the country. And then we're told, they're told, you know, come back in two years, come back. In one case, they said, come back in seven years for your court hearing. <laughs> it, it's it's mind-boggling. And the fact that many of us, because of our generosity, because of our kind of um, sense that, hey, we want to help people, we don't see the outrage in the streets. We don't see the outrage among the populace. And I'm hoping that if there is some outrage, we see it in November. Yeah. That's, that's the only way it seems like we can stop this. Yeah. Well, and we've, you know, we've seen, <laughs> I thought this was kind of funny looking up this information because, you know, you've we've had... Texas, you know, responding and a bunch of people flooding through. And there's, it said, what, over 8 million people have come through. 2 million are gotaways. Like, and I remember New York complaining about, oh my gosh, we're getting all these people. And it's like, imagine having 6 million people come through your border. That's a population of 30 states. It said, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. Like, no one can like support that, especially in the influx that's happening. I think this last month, it was like, close to 500,000 people coming through. That's crazy. That's a lot of people and a lot of people to help. And it's so, it's a lot. No, no, it's just a lot of- Extending resources I, of schools, extending yeah. resources of local agencies. It's trading the resources of, you know, local services that are supposed to help Americans. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so now it's, it's basically like we are, <laughs> you know, we are, now kind of put in a position where the most important job of government is to protect its borders and protect its citizens. And now we've opened ourselves to potentially dangerous, a dangerous future. Yeah. Well, right? possibly some dangerous of the people, people who are coming. I saw a video. Yeah. Some of the people who are coming, they have, there are lots of people from China mm. who are coming here. Are those people being allowed here on claims of asylum? Yeah. What exactly is that? And and many of these people are military-aged men mm. who are coming with no families, no dependents. Why are they here? And the fact that our federal government doesn't see the risk that mm. we're putting um, our country through, it, this is crazy. And I'm going to say one last thing about this. And uh, you may consider this a little provocative, but I think it needs to be said. When we talk about 9-11, the hijackers who came here and perpetrated 9-11, those hijackers were allowed into the country legally. 
Mm -hmm. They were here legally. And even those people who are here legally, if they could get into a situation where they could cause this kind of harm, how much more risk have we placed ourselves into by allowing 8 million people to come here illegally? Mm -hmm. How many potential terrorists, how many potential uh, people who seek us harm, how many of those people have entered without being screened? Well, we know at least one has because we had video footage of someone who was a convicted terrorist who had just gone out, like had come through the border. And of course, he he wasn't ashamed to say, you will know who I am. And I thought that was interesting because, I mean, catching one, you know, we caught one and found one, but then is he in our country? Like, did they detain him? Like, did anything happen? We know that he came through. So, I mean, it's very concerning to see things like that when you see these things at the border, you see the influx of people, and there are going to be people who don't have America's best interests at heart, and they are going to come through. So I do want to switch a little bit, though. I want to get your perspective as a legal immigrant, and you're now an American citizen. So I wanted to get your thoughts on how it how it makes you feel or like all for all legal immigrants who are going through this process. Right. You guys have made the choice to do the right thing, go through the legal process. And you in particular became an American citizen. So how does it feel to see illegal immigrants basically getting a free pass? They're coming through. They're getting benefits. They didn't have to go through the same process. And it took years for you to come. And also there are there are some pretty tight rules in the immigration process. So how does it, how did it make you feel to see what's currently happening at the border? Um, I can't speak for every legal immigrant, but I can say in general that the perspective for many of my friends um, who came here legally is the fact that we were chumps, right? We were chumps. So I recently said that um, I posted a video about my sister who is um, trying to come here legally. She was admitted to a master's program here in the U.S. and she went through the legal process. She had all her documents. She went to go get a visa and she was denied. And then you think this is someone who is here, who's been admitted to school, who's going to come here, learn something and potentially contribute to this economy. And we have processes in place to not give those people opportunity. And there's no appeal. There's no process to say, sorry, we take a look at my stuff. But then the question becomes, why shouldn't she go to Mexico and cross the border and get $3,000 mm -hmm. and get into the country that way? Yeah. Right? It seems like the people who are doing it the right way are the chumps. They're the ones who, you know, someone like me who took 18 years there was a time when I had good friends who said to me, hey, you know, why don't you, you know, do the whole marriage thing and, and you know, get married to somebody else and, and use that for immigration purposes. And these were people I trusted. And I said, no way. I would never do that. Mm -hmm. One, it's immorally wrong. It's morally wrong. It's immoral. That's the first part. Number two, I'm already married. Number three, I believe in the laws of the land mm -hmm. and upholding those laws. And I'm not going to contribute to this illegal behavior just so I can get what I want. And so I waited and waited and prayed. And it was like part of my prayer every day when I would pray to say, God, please provide a way for us to be able to remain here permanently. I remember every single year when we would ask for that blessing. And so to think that there are people who basically thumb their nose at the laws and said, look, you know what we're going to do? We're going to cross the river. We don't care. And then we're going to turn ourselves in. And then we're going to lie and say we're afraid for our lives. And Americans are chumps and they're going to let us in. And if they ever come to it, it's going to be years down the line. And then it will be impossible for them to deport us because we will have American citizen children. We would have established ourselves here and they will have to suck it up. Yeah. 
And that for me breaks my heart because it's basically turning our country upside down in, in one specific way. One of the things that I believe is most important about immigration is assimilation. You want to control immigration so that you can give the people who are coming here opportunities to assimilate so they can adopt our ways, that they can understand our culture. But what we're doing here is creating these silos of people in our country who have nothing in common with us, who have nothing, you know, no shared values with us to the point where we will wake up one day and this is the Trojan horse, right? We would wake up and suddenly we have a huge swath of our country that are flying the flags of other countries who have no allegiance to us or to our existence, to our founding, to our constitution, and who suddenly are in the middle of our country. And when you couple that with policies around the country, uh, that is intending to allow non-citizens to vote, where do you end up? You end up with the destruction of America. And so as, as immigrants, this is an affront to the rule of law. This is an affront to everything that we came here for. Mm -hmm. And it is really sad to be witnessing this at this point. Well, and you mentioned marriage. I mean, I imagine there's some people out there who are either students or they've immigrated here who find someone, want to date them. And then, but they're an immigrant. So the question is, are you trying to get in the country? <laughs> like, I imagine I that that's probably a strain that's on the relationship. Suspicion. So mm -hmm. like, good on you, Alma, for not doing that. Because <laughs> I imagine that would have been a completely awkward situation to like. Yeah, have to I know people. Us. I know people who have <laughs> circumvented the process by going that way. Mm. And I would not. Yeah. I have two immigrants in my family, and I know that was the first thing they were just like, I'm not trying to like date you. I'm actually interested in you because it creates an awkward situation, right? They want to be able to have that opportunity to love someone without having to worry about are they do they exactly. think of trying to get into the country? So I do. You did mention your sister, and I wanted to, you know, if you could explain that a little bit more. So what happened in that situation? Because I know that your sister got you know she managed to get into a school here she went through a process but it wasn't really an immigration process it wasn't really an interview so can you tell us a little bit more about that um so in my sister's case and not to get too detailed about this it's her case is pretty typical mm. for most people the fact is you apply for the visa you go to the visa interview and you usually have like less than 90 seconds to make your case Oh, wow. And in some cases, it appears that the decision has already been made. And so you get there, they ask for your name, they ask for your documents, and then literally a minute later, they give you a rejection letter. It's already printed out. And so it's not really a vetting. Now, I'm sure they will say, well, we do some background research and, and we do some other things first before you come to the interview because you have to submit your application um, before you come to the interview. So maybe they've done some background research and they've made their decision before. Mm -hmm. But then they put you through the charade of thinking that you are there to answer questions. Yeah. And then you don't really get asked any question and they just deny the visa. And we've had that happen multiple times mm -hmm. to many people who have attempted to come to America the legal way. Yeah, and so well, it, my sister's it, case is not unique. A lot of people experience that and, and for many of us, like we're like, you have thousands and thousands, potentially millions of people in the third world, in Africa and other places who pay the U.S. government. Because once you pay, you can't get your money back and they all get denied and they do it again. And so it's a, I don't know how much money they make with these applications, but they, th this is exactly what happens. And in my case, you know, when you read my book, which we'll talk about later on, you will you will learn a little bit about the process of my immigration, and it will delve a little bit into some of those details and how the experience is for most people. So, yeah, my sister's case is unfortunate, but it's not it's not uncommon for that to happen. Yeah. Well, and in my head when you were talking, it, it kind of reminded me this doesn't sound like an interview. It sounds like an audition. You have like 90 seconds to impress us. And if you don't impress us. You know, it's, it's not really even, some cases. Yeah, it's like, like it's not really even an audition because in many yeah. cases, 
you don't actually get to say anything. They just say, hand me your documents. The person is cold and, you know, appears to have woken up on the wrong side of the bed <laughs> that morning. And yeah. immediately they get in there and, you know, you hand your documents over. If you make any mistake, they just treat you like dirt, basically. Mm -hmm. And and then right there, you you know, why are you going? <laughs> I have my documents. I've been admitted to school. I'm sorry. You you know, your, your visa is denied. Mm. And you're like, I didn't get to say anything. You didn't ask yeah. anything. And that's that's just how it is sometimes. Yeah. Well, and I could see why, you know, illegal immigration would seem appeasing then. Because if you're treated like dirt in a 90 second interview through the legal process, but you're given like money, the phone and benefits coming through it, obviously <laughs> like this creates a problem. And that's what I wanted to like ask you next. Do you think that because of the stuff happening at the border and you kind of touched on it a little bit, do you think that has an effect with legal immigration? Do you think it slows down the process? Do you think it has if there's tons of people flooding through that we're having to help and give benefits to, do you think people who are going through the legal process kind of get on put on the back burner a little I bit? I think it does affect legal immigration in the sense that it creates a perception, one, in the country that we're done. We, we just don't want to deal with immigration anymore. So you're going to immediately start getting very hawkish anti-immigration policies. Yeah. Right? Because people are going to be like, okay, we've had 10 million people in this country who have come here with potentially fraudulent asylum claims. Mm -hmm. We have all these people here. We have all these services that are stretched thin. Why should we even continue to allow people in our country? And you can understand why that sentiment will be. Because once you have allowed all this illegal immigration, then it just all kind of falls under the perception of immigration. Mm -hmm. And so people, you, you stop getting the support that you normally would for legal immigration. So that's happening. I'm sure if a different, you know, presidency is in power, you know, the legal immigration process will suffer as well because there will be this perception that we need to get all these illegals out of the country before we even tackle anything. Now, in my 18 years of being a legal immigrant, one of the challenges that I have, I had was the fact that legal immigration happened to be like the ugly stepchild of yeah. the immigration process. All the advocacy, all the money, all the momentum, all the you know public, um, the news, everything focused on the plight of illegal immigrants. And many times I would look to my wife and look to other people and say, what about us? <laughs> we're legal. We have paid taxes. We are, we're not doing things under the table. We have social security numbers. We have children here. We've purchased homes. We've done all these things. Yeah. And we seem to not have a path to citizenship. And every time we hear about immigration on TV, on the news, by Congress, all we hear is a path to citizenship for illegal immigrants. Mm -hmm. And and so it, it, it hurts legal immigration because legal immigration becomes the, like I said, ugly stepchild that mm -hmm. gets ignored when all the advocacy is on the side of the illegal immigrants. Yeah. So that's the other part um, of how it affects legal immigration. Well, and I, I, I have friends that, you know, who are immigrants, similar to you, and they've commented on that process of, it feels like I have less rights going through the legal process than illegal immigrants do. You know, they're you, they're expected to do the right thing and they're expected to obey the rules to stay exactly. in the country. And, and one sense of that is as a legal immigrant, I was here as a student mm -hmm. and as a, a, a person on a student visa, I was not allowed to work off campus. I was limited to working 20 hours a week. Yeah. And it was strict. It was so strictly enforced mm -hmm. that you dared not break that rule. You could only work 20 hours a week on campus. I was married. My mm -hmm. wife had a degree, a bachelor's degree, but she was not allowed to work under any circumstances. So here I was married to my wife. Also, you know, had a kid, two kids in college. And guess what? I could only work 20 hours a week <laughs> on campus, which meant that the most I could earn per hour was like $9. And that was when I was in my senior year. Yeah. When we got married, I was earning $7.25. And that was all I could do. Mm -hmm. And so 
to think that we had all these rules. And then even after I was done with college, I was limited to working only in the industry in which I got my degree. Yeah. So if I had some epiphany to go and open a business or I had an idea to do something else because I had gotten a degree in IT, I could not go anywhere else. So I was stuck in yeah. one line of work. And then once you start your legal immigration process, another limitation that they put on you is if you change your job and your responsibilities change, you have to restart the process all over again. So as a legal immigrant, sometimes they would give you a promotion at work and you're like, sorry, I can't take the promotion because if I take the promotion, my responsibilities would change significantly, which will force me to restart my entire legal immigration process. And I'm already waiting two years, three years mm -hmm. for that process to go. So we will refuse promotions. We will refuse opportunities. We will be paid less than we are worth just to go through the legal process. All the while, the people who are here illegally have no restrictions whatsoever yeah. because if they can find an employer to pay them under the table or if they can start a business, you know, they can earn money. And in most cases, they can earn money under the table, which means they're not getting taxed. Mm -hmm. They don't have to pay any of the taxes and they can roam free around the country without any restrictions whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And then those who are here legally, in order to remain legal, have to adhere to all these rules and regulations. So it's like a bizarre world yeah, where good is bad, bad is good, and evil is rewarded, and, and those who choose to follow the law mm -hmm. seem to be penalized for following yeah. the law. Well, and Amadeo mentioned something last week that stuck out to me, and that was that people should care about who wants to be here for the right reasons? And are you going to bring something to the table when you come here? Like you clearly are someone who wanted to build something. Like you wanted to have the opportunity to build business businesses and that was restricted. And so that is something notable to like it within, with the legal immigration processes, should we be restricting people as much when they're showing an incentive to actually want to build the country in a good way? And I understand, you know, the, you know, the citizenship, you know, argument as well, because you want people to de be devoted to this country in order to like, you know, keep them here. There was a mention in previous episodes about like how you miss your home country. And I know personally through some of the immigrants that are close to me in my life, their path to citizenship might take a while because they just don't know if they want to let go of their other country and they want to for sure be in America. Did that contribute to how long your process took or was it just lengthy because you were building a family while you were going through the process? Um, no, it did not apply to me. I would have accepted American citizenship on day one. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I was not one of those that was in the position to say, you know, I am contemplating. Now, yeah. um, once for the most part, for most people, the real point that you want to get to is to get your green card. Mm -hmm. Once you have your green card, then you are free to work for anybody and do yeah. anything you want to do in the country, except for voting. But beyond that, you are free, you can live your life in peace, and you can go and come without any problems. Yeah. Um, so most people get to that green card point. And once you're there, then after five years of being on the green card, you can apply for citizenship. Mm -hmm. And so that's when some people at that point say, hey, I can permanently remain on green card. Yeah. You know, and not have to apply for citizenship and kind of keep renewing my green card. It lasts for 10 years, so I can just yeah. keep renewing it over and over and over again. And some people have done that because maybe they want to maintain allegiance to their home country. And that's mm -hmm. fine. Um, for me, as soon as my five years were up, I immediately went and applied for citizenship. And yeah. it took me like half a second to make that decision because I said to myself, well, um, by giving up my the, my citizenship in my country, what do I lose? And the things that I lost was that I can't be president of my country. <laughs> I can't yeah. have political office in my home country. Um, I can't um, be in the cabinet. I can't be a minister in the government. 
-hmm. there are certain government positions, like I cannot be chief of police, I can do certain things. So that's basically what I gave up mm -hmm. by becoming an American. And so I thought about it for a little bit and I was like, I'm not thinking about a life in politics in, in my home country. So it was easy for me to just say, okay, I'm going to embrace American citizenship. And it was a no brainer for me. Yeah. Well, it opens opportunities for your kids too. I know like the restrictions on, you know, legal immigrants is you guys can't run for president. You can't do certain things, but your children could potentially do that. So that's, that's a huge thing. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because there's been this topic that has hit over the weekend that a lot of people are talking about, and I wanted to get your take on it. So, of course, everyone knows about the controversy going on with Texas and Governor Abbott and the National Guard. And so I wanted to go into that topic a little bit and give some context. So a lot of people, especially or a couple, I guess, um, representatives from that state, Beto O'Rourke in particular, or commenting on how what Governor Abbott is doing at the border is illegal. <laughs> like he shouldn't be allowed to do it or he's he's um, or in their words, they're defying a court order from the Supreme Court. So I looked into that a little bit and the Supreme Court order that was given was in reference to what power the federal government has at the border. So they're currently cutting the wire that's being laid down. And it was decided that they have the authority to do that because they are the federal government. They are responsible for protection at that border. And so they're cutting wire. They're allowing people through while Texas is laying down that wire in defense of the border. And they have National Guard agents there. So technically, they're not doing anything against the federal government. They can't prohibit the federal government from cutting the wire, but there's nothing against them actually laying it. But it's created a whole situation where there's 25 states backing Gov uh, Governor Abbott right now. There, there, there's a lot of questions that are coming into play. So in the situation where the gover the federal government has the responsibility to defend the borders, but are failing to do so because we have all these people coming through, what is your take on this particular situation? Um, for me, as as I heard what was happening there, and I've been following it a little bit. Um, my question, the question I asked myself is. Um, the federal government has a responsibility to secure our borders. We know that. There's no question about that. But in the absence of them doing that actual work, are we supposed to be sitting ducks? Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's assume that Texas sees someone with a bazooka, with a tank coming across the border, right, with a drone that could be armed coming across the border with surveillance equipment coming across the border. Is Texas supposed to say, well, since the U.S. government is responsible for the border, we can just observe and watch this happen and watch an invasion. And I know people have taken the word invasion and, and, and said, oh, no, this is not an invasion. This is not, you know, when we talk about invasion, we talk about it in military terms. And this, you know, are just people who need help and they're seeking help and we shouldn't call it an invasion. And I say, if the people who support these policies, they're the same people who have changed almost the, the meaning of every significant word in our country, you know? And so how dare they say we can't redefine invasion? <laughs> Right. But it was an invasion when you have 10 million people unauthorized entering into a location that they're not supposed to be in. And so my feeling about this is, yes, Texas has not broken into laws. The Supreme Court did not say anything about their right to put those uh, barbed wire, razor wire on the border. The su Supreme Court did not address that at all. Mm -hmm. All it said was the federal government has the right to go in and potentially cut those wires. That's yeah. it. And and so they have not violated any law by putting the wires there. If the federal government decides to go cut those wires, they can do so. And then the question will become, what does Texas do if that becomes the case? And they're, you know, potentially going head to head in that situation. Mm -hmm. um, but in the grand scheme of things, this is basically hitting at the root 
of our union yeah. in this country. Because what people don't realize is, you know, our country has 50 states that are all independent. Mm -hmm. And the continued united states, you know, the the we almost like take it for granted that we have United States. <laughs> it's we take it for granted and we think that, you know, there's nothing that could happen that would cause us to break apart. Yeah. I'm sure the Soviet Union thought the same thing too. Right? They thought, you know, we have all these, you know, states and we would never break apart. And the question is, how do you break apart a country like this? And if you want to know the answer to that question, look at exactly what is happening right now. Yeah. Because you're creating sentiments that will eventually, if left unchecked, mm -hmm. sow the seeds of secession, sow the seeds of a potential breaking apart of our union because the the continued existence of the union is predicated on the federal government doing certain things to ensure that the state's sovereignty is protected. And so yeah. once the federal government abdicates its responsibility, eventually the states are going to take on that responsibility themselves. And that's what Texas is doing. Mm -hmm. And eventually, now that you have this standoff with all 25 Republican-led states saying we support Texas, now you're mm -hmm. creating potentially a faction that will end up dividing the country, if not yeah. checked. Yeah. And do you think, um, going further into that a little bit, do you think that this could open up conversations about the state power versus federal power? Like, what are the responsibilities of the states? And if the federal government is not acting and they're not protecting and doing the things that they're supposed to, do you think this opens up the conversation and clarification of what do the states do in that situation? I'm hoping that the Supreme Court gets that case and is able to adjudicate this mm -hmm. and help us understand once and for all that once the federal government stops doing its job, mm -hmm. are we supposed to be sitting ducks, like I said before? Are we just supposed to just say, well, that's the, the federal government's job? I, I think of it this way. It's as a father, it is my primary responsibility to provide and protect my family. Yeah. That's my primary responsibility. Now, imagine that I'm a deadbeat dad, which I'm not, but imagine that I were <laughs> a deadbeat dad. And I decided, you know, you know what? I'm not going to check whether the doors are locked. I'm not going to protect the home. I'm not going to do anything, you know, and I'm just going to leave the door ajar. Is my wife barred from doing something to protect her children? Is she barred from doing something to protect herself? Because I have the primary authority, let's say, to protect my family. And if I stop doing that, should anybody else be barred? And I know this is not a perfect analogy, but the idea that you should not have the right to protect yourself. Um, it's almost like, hey, the the police saying, well, we will protect you, so call 911. <laughs> but when we are, you know, 10 minutes away, well, you have no right to do anything until we show up. And if we don't show up, then good luck. <laughs> but if you don't know and you do something, then we will charge you. That's basically the standoff. Mm -hmm. And Texas is saying we are not going to be sitting ducks because we have a constitutional right to protect and defend our citizens as well. This yeah. is not just a, a federal right to protect citizens. Every state has a right to protect their citizens independent of the federal government. Yeah. So there is an invasion. They have a right to protect their citizens. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that that in, you know that that particular state sits on the border. But what yeah. if it was Utah and Utah was being attacked mm -hmm. and didn't sit across the border and there was some faction of people in, let's say, in some part of another state that decided to start lobbying, you know, bombs into Utah. Utah will have every right to defend its citizens. Mm -hmm. And so just because Texas sits on the border and and now it's no longer you know, a domestic issue, but now an international issue, suddenly Texas loses its right to defend itself mm -hmm. from an invasion or from some kind of harm. And so um, I believe that 
they definitely have the right. And it's not just me. I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. I have listened to the analysis of many other people on this who understand the law. And it's very clear that Texas does have the right to defend themselves. If the federal government refuses to do its job, we cannot be sitting ducks, allowing ourselves to be harmed with impunity. Yeah. Well, and I liked your analogy, even though it was on the spot. Because <laughs> I, I, I liked it. It makes a lot of sense, which I think in other people's minds, it makes a lot of sense as well. Because when I saw Beto O'Rourke's uh, Twitter post, I was like, that makes no sense to tell people that they're defying a court order, therefore they can't protect themselves. Like, I don't think anybody in their right minds, if their lives are being threatened or if their if their state is being invaded are going to be like yeah sorry court order said I can't do anything so I'm just going to put down my arms I'm not going to defend myself it it just didn't make any sense but um we're gonna switch gears a little bit we're finally getting into the topic that we wanted to focus in on this week so your experience with immigration is valuable and I I love your perspectives that you give especially on the podcast because you not only talk about the victories of becoming a citizen, but you also talk about the failings of the current immigration process. And you recently wrote a book and it's published, it's on pre-order and it's going to be released soon. And I'm so excited for you. And I know there's other people that like have commented and with their support. And it's that particular book is detailing your experience from immigrating from Ghana to America. So could you tell us a little bit about your book and what was your inspiration for writing it? All right. So uh, yes, the book is titled my American Privilege, a chronicle of my transatlantic journey to become American. So that's the book. Um, it's available now on pre-order. Go to AmericanPrivilegeBook.com to pre-order a signed copy, or you can also pre-order the ebook. I am currently in the process of um, recording the audiobook, so that will be out shortly as well. So for those of you who love audiobooks, this will be an opportunity for you to um, get that book in that format. Now, let me talk about why I wrote this book. Um, since I, I came to America, I have always wanted to be what I call a cheerleader for this country. I came here because I believed in the principles, in the values, in the constitution, and everything that empowered our founding fathers to create this union. Now, the union is not perfect. We have our challenges, and I talk about some of those challenges in the book. But I feel that there has become a pervasive kind of movement away from patriotism, a movement away from a love for our country to the point where our next generation is looking at our country, and the first thing they think is that we are imperial, we are bad, and we need to be brought down. And that's the sentiment. Uh, as a person who spends a lot of time on social media, that is the sentiment of the next generation of Americans. And so my inspiration for writing the book was not only to share my story, and part of the book is about sharing my story, but also to help people understand the privilege they have to be American. And the fact that the sentiments that they're having about the country, all those misgivings that they have about our history and everything, all those things are afforded them because of the values that this country was built, up, built upon. And to help them really connect those two things, that you know, when you think about your ability to speak freely and not fear reprisal from the government. They don't realize that. And recently I saw um, a live on TikTok where the topic was, we should not have freedom of speech, debate me. <laughs> and I was like, wow. These people are thinking about giving up their freedom of speech. Then we have done a really horrible job you know, bringing up the next generation to truly critically understand why we have the values we have. And so this is just the beginning of my journey. And this book is to basically introduce myself to the world and to, to get myself out of obscurity, but also 
to focus on what I believe are the underpinning values and principles that undergirds this country. And my hope is that anyone who reads the book becomes reinvigorated to fall in love with America again. Yeah. To truly understand the transformative power of the principles that we hold dear mm -hmm. and how that those principles can take anybody from any walk of life who is willing to adhere to those principles and bring them through whatever challenges and trials and give them what they believe is success. Mm -hmm. This is the only country in the world where a person with no prior connections with this land can come here and in a few short years transform their entire posterity mm -hmm. and leave a legacy that will be lasting for generations. Yeah, This is the place where that can happen. And my story is to kind of lend my voice to a movement that seeks to rekindle the American spirit. Now, another reason I wrote the book was because I made a promise to myself that I wanted to be a published author when I before I turned 40. And because I have a knack for procrastination, <laughs> I waited and waited and started the process. I started writing this book in in 2020. And I kept, you know, fits and starts and stops and things like that. And eventually I got to the point where I was like, okay, if I wait any longer, I'm not going to make that goal. So I finally said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. And, and so I'm very proud that I am able to do that. And not only that, the release date of the book is February 16, 2024. That is my 40th birthday. So I am hitting it exactly <laughs> when I said. And one final thing I'll say is this. Um, I want to be an advocate for the principles that I believe in. I want to be a cheerleader for America, like I said before. And in order to do so, I know that I will have the opportunity to speak to audiences and have the opportunity to, to potentially be in the media. Mm -hmm. And so I kept asking myself, I said, how will I be introduced yeah. when I am interviewed, <laughs> you know, on TV? And I remember in my prior interviews on TV, they didn't really know how to introduce me. So on one, they just said, Alma Ohenio Pari, TikTok star. And I'm like, no, that's <laughs> how I want to be introduced. So I was like, if I write a book, then what that will do is there will be a way to introduce me. So now they're going to say, <laughs> Alma Ohenio Pari, author of My American Privilege. So that's <laughs> one of the reason there. <laughs> I, I, you don't want to be labeled as a TikTok star. You'd rather I don't be, want to be a TikTok star. <laughs> I want to be known for more than that. Yeah. And so by having, by writing a book that gives, you know, um, the media another way of describing me. Mm -hmm. And and that also allows to push the book so that other people will look forward to or will have the opportunity to learn about it and go and read about it or read mm -hmm. it. So yeah. those are all the reasons and motivations behind it. But my primary motivation is to help the next generation of Americans recognize the privilege they have yeah. to be American citizens. Yeah. And I so one of my privileges that I get you know, as your producer is, I get to see these things beforehand. <laughs> and so I, I have, I've seen the manuscript <laughs> and something that I, and I'm not going to give any spoilers away because I'm planning to read it more this week. Um, but I love what I love about your book is that you include things that are culturally part of Ghana as well. Like I had like into the first chapter and I'm not going to spoil too much. Um, there was, I didn't know that your guys' names were so long <laughs> and like the, but what I love about it is that each name has a meaning in your particular culture. And I thought that was amazing. And I'm not going to spoil what it is, um, uh, unless you want to spoil that for your audience. I'm not going to spoil it. Go get the book, everyone. Go get the book. We'll have them That's guess my birthday how... present for my 40th birthday. Go get the book. I know. Yeah. We'll have them guess at how to pronounce everything too. And then yeah. once it's released, you'll be like, how'd you guys do? Exactly. <laughs> and you then you've got to go get the audiobook if you want to hear the right pronunciations. Yeah. Everything. There we go. Just get the audiobook <laughs> and share that with your family as well. So 
going into another question here. So something that I think everybody knows about you, especially those who listen to your stuff on TikTok, because you're a TikTok star and now an author, um, but something they know about you is that you have a tremendous love for this country. And something that I think Americans here take for granted is we do take, you know, we don't realize the privileges and also the opportunities that we have. If we're born here, we tend to take it for granted. We don't usually focus in on the opportunities. And then we end up in the situation we are in now where we're like, we're oppressed and we don't have this, you know, the same situations that everybody else does. You know, our country is bringing us down, but we do have lots of opportunity. And so I wanted you to, and you've shared your experience in your book, but I want you to kind of talk to legal immigrants or immigrants to this country. What is your message to legal immigrants like yourself? who love America and how can they use their unique voices to bring more value to the conversation that we're currently having, especially about immigration? Yeah, um, I think for many legal immigrants, we come here with a goal, with a purpose. Mm -hmm. And many of us tend to focus on that goal and that purpose to the exclusion of a lot of other things. So it's, you, it's I think anyway, rare to find a lot of legal immigrants, you know, doing more than just kind of building their lives here. And you don't see a lot of them in advocacy. You don't see a lot of them in in the spotlight a lot, um, especially those who are in the process and have not yet become American citizens. You know, before I became an American citizen, I felt like, mate, it's not my right to speak on American issues in public because I'm not American yet. And I felt like, you know, it was pretentious of me to put myself in a position to be advising Americans on how to live their lives and and things like that. And so as a legal immigrant, that's how it felt. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say to my fellow legal immigrants that you are contributing to this country. You are contributing to its greatness. And you should not be ashamed to embrace that mantle, to say, I came here for a specific purpose but I also came here because of the values and the principles here. And the opportunities that I have are because of the values and principles that this country was founded on. And so I need to be an advocate. I need to be a voice to help the people who have lost the sense of the privilege that they have to recognize that privilege. And my hope is to bring together a coalition of these legal immigrants who want to speak up and create that. And so um, and we talked about this um, with Mackenzie, but mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm trying to do here is establish an organization, a nonprofit organization that will be responsible for advocacy in and bringing out the voices of legal immigrants. And the name of the organization is Legal Immigrants for the Restoration of America, LIFTRA, Legal Immigrants for the Restoration of America. You can go to liftra.org to learn about our mission or vision. My goal is to amplify the voices of legal immigrants because I think they bring a perspective that can enable Americans truly understand what a privilege they have to be born here and what a privilege they have to have been founded on the kind of principles and values that this country was founded on. And so... Yes, if you are a legal immigrant and you're looking for a voice, please contact me. Let's put our heads together and let's build a movement. We cannot just allow the advocacy to be on the side of the illegal immigrants. Mm -hmm. We have something to contribute to this country and we need to make our voices known. What is freedom of speech if you don't use it mm -hmm. to push your values forward? Yeah, and, and I, I think, think legal immigrants need to start doing that. Yeah, and I think the biggest compliment that Mackenzie could have given was that you inspired her to speak up more. And I I, I saw that and I was, that's amazing. That's the goal. <laughs> so we talked about your message to uh, immigrants here and what they can do more. Um, what would be your message to American citizens? What does your book bring to them that they've maybe lost and you've touched on it a little bit, but I want you like, what would your message be to like the American citizens that you are now a part of? I say to Americans, and this is something I heard um, from Glenn Beck many years ago, but it always resonated with me, which is America is great. 
because Americans are good. And I believe that is the thing that makes this country great because it's not just a bunch of principles and values, you know, floating around in the ether. It's people embracing those principles and values and people living their lives in a way that is worthy of those principles and values, right? And when you read my book, you will learn how Americans and their generosity and their their fidelity to the principles that make this country great put me in the position I am today. And, and so I want Americans to recognize the power they have to use their own voices, to use their choices, to actually push this country in the direction they want. I know that in this day and age, we feel powerless in many instances because we feel like we're being hit from every side with so many things that are going on that we have a tendency to say, I give up. You know, I know people who say, I'm just not going to listen to the news anymore. I know people who have completely withdrawn and they're like, I'm just going to focus on my family and that's it. That's a dangerous position to be in because if you are not fighting for the things you believe in, if you're not fighting to preserve your rights, if you're not fighting to preserve your way of life, you are losing. This is not a situation where we've won and we're done with the work. This is an ongoing battle. And if you want America to remain America, you have to be willing to speak up, use your rights and speak up. And if you're concerned about saying the right thing, then learn, involve yourself, read the founding fathers, try to understand what their vision for this country was and recognize that even though we have not lived up to that vision all the time, that the goal of the founding fathers was not to, not to invent perfection, but they said to create a more perfect union. And what that means is that it's a constant work, constant daily work to create that more perfect union. And you have a voice, you have a place in that process. So recognize the power you have and take on that power and go and change your estate not only in your life, but then use your voice at the ballot box and go and make sure that you select leaders that are going to uphold the constitution and keep our values protected. Because when you become a citizen, the oath you take is to protect and defend America from enemies, both foreign and domestic. And right now we have a lot of domestic enemies. And we need to push back against those enemies just as much as we would if we had foreign enemies as well. Yeah, I really like that. It kind of reminded me of something that I, I understand the meanings a lot in the flag because of my dad being in the military. And I've always thought that the values of America and also what's represented in the flag is an ideal that's yet to be obtained. It's a constant process of building and getting to that ideal. It was never a, you guys instantly have it. It's a, you're working and you're changing and you're growing so that you can reach so that these ideals and values are actually representative in your life instead of just in, you know, the flag or the symbolism exactly. that we have. So I want you again for listeners, I want you to tell them where can we find your book and where it's at and when the release date is and are there any special offers? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So very simply, go to AmericanPrivilegeBook.com. Not complicated at all. And I'm sure Jim is <laughs> going to put it in the banner, AmericanPrivilegeBook.com. And you will be able to pre-order the signed copy. So if you want to um, get the signed copy, that's up to you. That's fine. Um, you can get that. It's going to be hardcover and I'm going to sign it. Um, as soon as I receive it, I will do a live and I will sign on camera. And if your order is in by that time, I will sign it and you'll be able to see me sign your book. So go do that. Also available for pre-order is the ebook, the Kindle ebook. So you can purchase that as well. Um, that's much cheaper. And then... My hope is that um, I will also release very soon the audiobook. For, so for those who want the audiobook, 
Um, it's going to be here. I'm hoping that um, we're able to get it out as quickly as possible. Um, I don't have a date on that, but it's going to be very close to the release date of the book. Um, the release date, once again, is February 16, 2024, which is my 40th birthday. So if nothing at all, buy this book as my birthday present. <laughs> and it's not just that you're doing this for me, but this will bless your life as well. Um, and I'm not saying that because it's my book. I am sure that if you do read it, um, you will come away from this book feeling a little more patriotic, a little more pumped up to be an American, and a little more kind of proud of your country. So um, please support us and support this book. And let's show the world that when Americans come together, we can achieve anything. We're going to close this out. Do you want to close this out? Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, everyone, for uh, joining us on this special episode of Restitch America. Um, we love to hear from you, as Jenny said. So please interact with us. Let us know what content we should bring to you in the future. Over the next coming weeks, we have some special treats. And during the week of the release, we'll also do a special episode um, where we will bring a few people together um, and maybe do kind of a, a, a conference of sorts of, of people who... Um, so we're, we're, we have some things in store for you. So look forward for that. If you're not subscribed, please do so right now. And also share the podcast with everyone you know. Go ahead, do that right now. Go share it. And we hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank <laughs> you.